0: Morning everyone. Oh boy. Good morning everyone. Is this thing working? Are we good? There we go. I started to wonder after that first lonesome good morning that was somewhat muffled. If everybody was kind of had a um sugar hangover from yesterday and were uh kind of like, oh, 5th of July Sundays, they can be a stinker. Uh, hey, happy 4th of July, we had a great time, uh, a great time watching the fireworks and uh, fellowshipping with quite a few of you guys. Uh, Waits Lake is an awesome place to be on the 4th of July, there's lots going on, lots to see, lots to do, and uh, uh, although we got there maybe a little late in the evening, it was still a great time. Uh, Don't tell anybody, but I actually snuck in a little nap yesterday afternoon just so that I would have the energy uh, to have a good time last night and to watch the fireworks, and so uh, glad to be here, glad that uh, we can celebrate our earthly freedoms here in this country anyway, and um, last week we... If, if maybe you haven't been here, or if you're f- watching online for maybe the first or second time, we're kind of working through this topical series called "Stronger." What is it that God uses to build our our faith? What is it that God uses to to mold us and shape us? And uh, last week we looked at Second Chronicles 15, and the idea that uh, King Asa was challenged by God really to to hoe out the idolatry that was in Judah and to, uh, to deal with uh, the issues in the land that were causing no peace and we looked at it from the standpoint that that we live in a country we live in a time in an era where peace is uh, a bit of a rare commodity in our community in our in our culture uh, Perhaps a lot of that is, I'll tell you, the number one way to get to gain peace, like you can get it instantly, it's like putting it in the microwave and putting it on for 30 seconds. The, the easiest way to get peace in our culture is to take the TV and go, click, right? Shut it off. Turn it off. That's the fastest way to get peace. Uh, my second favorite fastest way to get to a place of peace is to fire up a uh, 220 horsepower diesel engine, crawl in the cab and drive away from all the distractions. And uh, that's a personal thing for me. I'm sure you all have your ways and means of uh, finding a peaceful spot. And uh, anyway, but Judah didn't have much peace because they were struggling with idolatry. We looked at a couple of just key things there that Asa was commanded to do by God via prophecy and that was to turn to God and not just for Asa but Asa as the leader of the country and everybody was supposed to follow as they turned to God as they sought after God and God said hey if you seek for me you're going to find me guaranteed and and, and that's true for all of us that as we seek after God uh, he's not going to be hidden it's not a, a shrouded veil and mystery of who God is and what He wants from us. He's going he's gonna to let you find Him. He's going to commune with you. That's the joy of having the Holy Spirit as New Testament believers, as having the Holy Spirit within us on an ongoing, every day, every minute, every second, uh, having our spirit infused by God's Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. It's awesome. So it doesn't take a... I, I, I joke around about the idea of, of, of turning off the TV or, or getting in a tractor and, and, and driving off. Uh, those are just kind of you know, things that I do from time to time. But the reality is, is that I can have peace in the midst of the storm. You can have peace in the midst of the storm because you have God residing within you if you're a believer. And uh, definite, some, definitely some keys there out of Second Chronicles 15. Dealing with idolatry... Uh, I don't mean to re-preach last Sunday's sermon, but oftentimes, the biggest thing out of Second Chronicles 15, oftentimes the reality is, is that we get really stirred up about what's going on in the world around us, and we fail to deal with the idolatry that's right in our own hearts. We fail to deal with it as believers. And that should be our first responsibility, not an afterthought, Right? Um, it should be a mark of our Christian growth. It should be a mark of, the, of, of, of who God is creating us to be. And, uh, and like Asa and Judah, the result was peace in the land. You can have that peace. We can have that peace when we're dealing with these idols and doing what God says. We can have peace in the land of our lives. We suffer oftentimes from that lack of peace because we look for it in every conceivable place other than, other than our relationship with the Lord. Today I want to take us in a similar direction, a different book and chapter in the Bible, but in a similar direction, I want to talk about hearing loss. Uh About a dozen years ago, we were down at the Chula City Park, and we were celebrating the 4th of July. And uh, a good, we were in that pavilion, that, they call it the Fireman's Pavilion, so it's, let's see, it's on the east side of the park there. And uh, <coughs> concrete floor, and of course it's got the, the roof over it and all that. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, good old Bob Carlson from up at Summit Valley decided that he was going to... Uh, come up behind a group of us, but primarily it was straight behind me, and he let off a firework in that pavilion, and I thought I'd blown an eardrum. It was that loud between the concrete, and the roof, and all that, and uh, I couldn't hear anything. I don't know, for about a week, seemed like I couldn't hear anything, and I milked that injury way more than a week. I milked that injury out as long as I possibly could. What? What? I'm sorry, honey, I, what? I can't hear you. That's a little bit of confession to start a sermon. But, uh, no, it was a real thing. I mean, it was, uh, it, it surprised me. I'm used to kind of being around lo- loud noises. It not just surprised me, but it surprised me and what it did for my hearing. And, uh, and it stinks to have hearing loss. Now, mine was just temporary, and I think as I get older and the more I'm around, Uh, all this loud equipment, I think that uh, uh, I'm losing some hearing. At least other people tell me so. Uh, From time to time, other people tell me that I'm losing some hearing. But hearing loss is a big thing. And we're not here to talk about my funny 4th of July hearing loss due to an M80 that went off right behind me. Uh, We're here to talk about spiritual hearing loss as a means of Uh, as a means of growing stronger, we need to sharpen our hearing. Uh, Sometimes it's not just looking at the things that that God uses to grow us, but it's looking at the opposite, the things that that we do that cause us to quit growing that we can draw some encouragement, we can draw draw some instruction from, some some direction, to start regrowing. And, uh, and to get going. So today we're not going to look at that physical side of it, of hearing loss, but the spiritual side. And the writer of the book of Hebrews, um, I'll insert this, I believe it's the Apostle Paul. And we're actually going to cover two passages, one in the book of Hebrews and one in the book of 1 Corinthians that uh, is one of the reasons why I believe the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Um, and where the writer of the book of Hebrews uses selecting hearing loss to describe a lack of spiritual growth. A lack of spiritual growth. So we're looking to avoid those things. We're looking to avoid a lack of spiritual growth to know that, on the flip side, that we're still growing, that we're becoming who God wants us to be, uh, that He's raising us up. Um, Day by day. To set up the ch- fifth chapter of Hebrews, I'll just give you a 30,000 foot flyer over of the first few chapters. The author of Hebrews has been hammering away at the, the superiority of Jesus. The first several chapters, he talks about the superiority of Jesus in every sense uh, and in every way. Chapter 1, the superior, he's the superior Savior. Chapter 2, he's the superior, he brings su- a superior salvation. Chapter 3, Jesus is superior to Moses, and if you were a, 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 of Hebrew descent, if you were, if you were uh, Israeli in these days, uh, this is something that would really challenge your thinking. And, and the writer of Hebrews, I believe it's the Apostle Paul, lays out a masterful piece in chapter 3 of how Jesus is superior to, uh, to Moses. Uh, they put Moses way high on a pedestal in their faith. And uh, these New Testament uh, Israeli believers definitely was something that I'm sure they chewed on for a long time as they were encouraged to continue to follow Jesus. Uh, chapter 4, we, there's a little bit of a bend where it talks about the superior rest that we have in Jesus. He uh, talks about the Sabbath rest. Uh, as a means that uh, in following Christ. In chapter 5, the first part of chapter 5, the writer talks about Jesus as a superior priest. As a superior priest. Again, if you were Jewish in that day, uh, this would be uh, something that you'd really be... It's all part of a hard transition for them as Christ followers. Now, some of them made that transition real easy. Because the corrupt uh, part of the priesthood was hard for people to swallow, I think a lot of the, I think a lot of the, the disciples made that uh, transition somewhat uh, on an easy scale. Um, they struggled with what was going on in their country, and so when Jesus came in to kind of shake things up, uh, they were smiling, but. The writer of the book of Hebrews says that Jesus was even priest in the order of Melchizedek, an Old Testament reference. Um, I won't go deep into who Melchizedek is, just a couple of fine points to set the table is, is that he was an Old Testament priest without beginning or end. An Old Testament priest who predated Aaron, the first priest, Moses' brother. And uh, Melchizedek ministered to and received blessing, received tithe, where we get the idea of, of giving a tenth or a tithe, uh, that's very first mentioned here, in, uh, back in Genesis, in the story of Abraham. And uh, so Abraham give, gave Melchizedek uh, a tithe um, because of who he was. The writer goes on to say, and if you want to turn in your Bibles to uh, Hebrews chapter 5, all the way at the end of the chapter, I was just saying all that to kind of set up these few verses the writer of Hebrews goes on to say in Hebrews 5, 11 through 14, of whom we have much to say and it's hard to explain. So I don't feel so bad if I struggle with explaining to who Melchizedek is because even the writer of Hebrews was saying, hey, this, these things are hard to explain. Even to you who have your own history nailed down tight, uh, you have all this, those stories memorized. We have recorded versions and, and all of that, and you study it hard all the way through your whole life you look through the Torah and look through uh, those Old Testament writings, the writers of Hebrews says, hey, it's hard to explain. And, but here's his reasoning for why it's hard to explain. It's not just hard because it's Old, Old, Old Testament stuff. Since you've become dull of hearing, verse 11 concludes. It's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. Verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. There's a chronic issue in the church today. We all are tempted and struggle with this at some level. I won't put myself above anybody else. We all struggle with this idea. And it's an issue that, uh, that we have to learn to, to, to deal with and to overcome or perhaps even to recover from if we're going to survive and grow. And that idea is, is to avoid becoming or to deal with the issue of being dull of hearing. Uh, it's a little, it can be a little bit sensitive at times. Ooh, you talking to me? You talking to me? That's why I'm willing to put myself right in the middle of the seats and say that I struggle at times. Uh, we're all tempted to struggle and become spiritually dull of hearing. That's why it's important that we learn to deal with it. So that we can continue to grow. Two times in the New Testament is this word dull used. And it's actually both in the book of Hebrews. Here in chapter 5 that we just read. Also in chapter 6. And perhaps this will become uh, give a little context. A little more uh, flavor for what the writer's talking about. And I'm going to pick it up. not in verse, It's mentioned in verse 12 of Hebrews 6. But I'm going to pick it up, put a little context and start in verse 10. Of chapter 6, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and you do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. It's that idea of enduring that we talked about last week. And verse 12 goes on to say that you do not become sluggish. That's that same word. That same word for dole in chapter 5. Dole of hearing is the same word that's used here, the same Greek word. Don't ask me to pronounce it. My Greek's not really the best. But it's the same word. Do not become sluggish. Do not become sluggish. The antidote for becoming dull or sluggish or slothful in our Christian walk is to do exactly what the writer goes on to say. But imitate those who through faith And patience inherit the promises. When we're struggling and being tempted, the writer of Hebrews says, when we're struggling to be slothful in following the Lord, slothful in hearing the Lord, slothful and or dull of hearing, the idea here in chapter six that he says is to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. In Hebrews 5, the issue is one of hearing. And the idea that the believer became that way infers to the fact that they weren't and now are. Let's go back to Hebrews 5 and look at that piece for just a second. Hebrews 5, verse 11, says, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have became dull of hearing since you've became dull of hearing. So at one point, we all know in our own walk that we're really keyed into who God is. We're really keyed into what the Bible says. We're learning, we're growing, we're taking it in. We're learning, we're growing, we're taking it in. Hopefully you've been discipled and, and, and there's lots of conversation. Uh, you're in a small group, there's lots of conversation. Your week is filled with your, your mental week, uh, what's going on in your head throughout the week, I guess I want to say, It's filled with who God is, what He's teaching you, and you're growing in that process. But somewhere along the way, and we're all tempted there. I'm tempted there as much as anybody. Somewhere along the way, we became, it says, dull of hearing. That's what we have to watch out for. Is where's the trail going in our spiritual walk? Why is it veering off just a little bit if it is? And where's it taking us? And if it's taking us to a spot of being dull of hearing in our Christian faith, our growth rate is going to follow that. Our spiritual growth rate is going to follow that sense of being dull of hearing. Ryder writer goes on to use two things to make this point. This is really the nuts and bolts of the outline. Number one, he goes on to make this point, is that there should be a timeline for growth. There should be, there should be a, a marked timeline in our life as we grow in the Lord. Verse 12, verse of chapter 5 says, Though by this time you ought to be teachers. So he's contrasting the fact that, that, there's, that, we, that they were here, they became this, but they ought to be over here, climbing the hill. They ought to be teachers. This idea is not that everyone would be a gifted teacher. That's not what the writer of Hebrews is saying. The writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, guess what? Not the, the gift of teaching to be able to, to uh, put across the, the principles of who God is and, and, and all of that in a way that people just really gravitate to it, that's, that's, not, what, that's not what this is about. The idea of what they're saying here is is that you should be able to at least share the basics of the faith and encourage people at the very least to where you are. At the very least to where you are. We have a tendency in America to hire it all out. We have a tendency in America to, to, to look at this idea that we're going to gravitate to this person. Man, they're just an awesome communicator. And God's gifted them that way. That's awesome. That's great. What's God doing in your life? Where's God taking you on this idea that by now they ought, this time you ought to be teachers? We have some awesome teachers in this building, awesome teachers, people that can communicate the Word of God, that can that can inspire people to grow, that can uh, help you in your faith, in your sticky spot, in your Christian walk. That can help people through that. They've been doing it for years. People that are using the gifts that God's given them, but it's not just for those. This word is not just for those people. He's writing to everybody. Everybody should be able to teach. We have this false sense that we can hire it out to do what we can't or won't, which the latter is probably more the case. There's a critical growth plate in which every Christian must be a teacher. You guys get that? There's a critical growth plate, uh, 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 just like our body has to grow, there's a critical growth plate in which every believer needs to be able, needs to be a teacher to some degree or another. We really only master something after we've effectively taught it to somebody else. That is a critical step in this process. If you never prepare anything to share with anybody else, how are you going to really master it and know if it's effective? We have to be able to to get to that point in our Christian walk where we can take somebody to the Bible, somebody that's got a question, we say, hey, I, I don't have this thing memorized cover to cover, but... I have a few ideas of what you're talking about. Let's go right over here. Let's start in the book of John. And he has a couple of things to say to, to answer your questions. Basic teaching. But if we can't get to that spot, if we continually go, uh, well, uh, uh, I, I, don't know your, I don't know the answer to your question, but let me give you my pastor's number. Or let me, let me encourage you to listen to this person. If, if you're always outsourcing what you should be involved in and what I should be involved in. If we're outsourcing the little bit of teaching and avoiding the mastery of understanding even the basics, we're not really learning. We're not really being the student if you can't get to the point where you can teach. I guess that's what I want to say. We have to be able to teach. The writer of Hebrews says, for this For though by this time you ought to be teachers, teaching is a critical step in the learning process, and we can't be afraid or embarrassed. We can't avoid, 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 and just be a consumer Christian showing up on Sunday and calling it good enough. As a Christian church, as Christ followers, it's critical to our long-term survival While we're here on earth, in the culture that we're in, with the trajectory it's going, it's critical that we get these things right. And that our focus is in the right area. The second point I wanted to make is that the writer goes on to say that there's a contrast between milk and meat, verse 12. Let's look at it together. I'll read it. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. So rather than being where you should be, we have to start back over at first base. Learning the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. In a lot of Christian circles, milk kind of gets the um, stink eye in in this passage. (coughs) Oh, <coughs> yeah, they're still on the milk. They're not on the solid meat. And milk kind of gets a, 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 a stink eye, so to speak. The reality is, is that milk is critical. Milk is critical. The expectation here is that for a seasoned saint, those have been Christians for a while not the newborn Christian. That's what he's talking about. Verse 13, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. There's a natural understanding that the brand new believers, and if you're a Christ follower, you think back to your days, those early years of your walk, you needed that milk of the word. We all need it. It's very natural. It's very natural to to. to uh, to embrace that, that's what makes us grow quickly. There's a natural understanding that brand new Christians will be a little wobbly, like a newborn calf. A brand new calf, a, a brand new baby calf, just has, a, just has really a few hours to get the nutrients, the colostrum they call it, from its mother. It 's a critical element in that calf's development without it they' they 're going to get sick, more than likely they 're going to get sick, and more than likely they 're not going to make it. Uh, my dad and I used to raise Holstein Heifers, and uh, my dad was uh, he was always looking for a good deal, always looking for a good deal. He was over on the west side he, a lot of uh, the where he sold his cattle was over in a little tiny town, uh, a little smaller than Chihuahua, called Everson, Washington. And there was an auction yard there. And so that's where he would take over heifers that were ready to, you know, ready to calve and uh, sell them there. And oftentimes bought baby calves and brought them back home. And so the cycle started over again. So this whole group of 25 bottle calves came into the sale ring. And uh, they weren't bringing that much money. And he thought, oh, here's a chance to make a few extra bucks in the whole process. So he started bidding, and he got them cheap. What he didn't know at the time, what we didn't know for about a month or two later, was is that none of those 25 calves, they were all swept up, never had an opportunity to drink colostrum, cl- never got that, that, that first milk from the from the udder, so to speak. And uh, they swept them right up, took them right to the sale yard. Of course, here's my dad thinking he's getting an awesome deal. He brings them home, and out of 25 calves, one of them survived. And uh, he had vets coming and going. We sent blood samples, and tissue samples, and stomach samples, and every particular sample that you could pull out of a baby calf, we sent samples down to WSU Lab at the at the, uh, at the WSU, Washington State University, at their uh, animal science lab, and to try to figure out what the problem was, why these calves were getting so sick. And I come to find out, one out of 25 survived, not having the critical elements that they needed in those first few hours. The same dynamic is true spiritually, and the writer of the book of Hebrews is not giving the idea of milk for a newborn babe, the stink eye. What he's given a stink eye is, is that here you, these believers had been believers for quite a while. He says, you ought to have been teachers, but now we've got to go clear back to the beginning. What, what has happened? Why are you dull of hearing that we have to start all the way all over again in your growing process? What was it that you did or didn't get... Or why have you become the way you are? You should have been there, but you're back here. And he's not making back here the problem. The dullness of hearing, the sluggishness. The sluggishness of listening leads to sluggishness of following is really their issue. Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. On the back side of that, whole story about our calves, is the idea if a calf only gets milk and never gets beyond that, at some point it's gonna have a real problem. Its diet's gonna be off. It's not created, it's not created to drink milk its whole life. And they're gonna get kind of fat and they're gonna get kind of lazy. <laughs> And they're not going to build the muscle that they need. They're not going to build the... the uh, they're not going to have the... the uh, 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 they're going to struggle health-wise because of not getting grain, not getting hay, not getting grass, all those things that they're intended to eat. Some of those same di- dynamics are true as well. Spiritually speaking... That's where the Bible and the body of Christ comes in to help help us grow. The newborn growth transition is the idea of going from carnal thinking to spiritual thinking. I'm going to veer out of the book of Hebrews for just a minute. Because Paul, in his letter to the Corinthian church, his first letter, comes across pretty harshly on this same idea. Paul is in the midst of scolding that church. Uh, writing in hopes that they will pull away from their carnal thinking and embrace spiritual thinking. That's a particular word that he uses. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the first few verses say this to us. It says, And I, brethren, Paul talking about himself, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. And I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now, you are not able to receive it. And even, even now, you're still not able. So they were a whole church that was struggling to grow. He says, for you're carnal. For where there is envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I'm of Paul, and I'm, another says, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal he asked those questions see Paul was frustrated with the church in Corinth because it had the same issue it was sluggish they were sluggish in their growth the key indicators of that sluggishness and the dullness to, to not grow the dullness to not hear what he had told them not to remember what he had taught them in his missionary journeys they fleshed themselves out in some of these key four ways because there's envy. People were struggling with what somebody else had. Ooh, ooh, they got that, man, I wish I had. And they struggled with envy. They struggled with envy. They struggled with strife. A lot of times envy and strife are kind of cousins. They're, they're kind of hooked together because if, if you're constantly wanting what somebody else wants, there's going to be tension there. So then there's strife. There was strife in the body. Strife causes divisions. And Paul says, "Hey, you're be- you're behaving like mere men." What he's saying there is that they had worldly thoughts, and their worldly thoughts were bringing out worldly actions. See, there's the natural expectations that Christians will grow in the milk of the Word of God at first and develop good habits. That's the idea. We develop good habits of study and prayer as we grow in our relationship with Christ. That uh, one of those habits is we begin to read the, uh, the, perhaps the basics, uh, my personal, and I think a lot of you guys would agree, that a brand new believer probably shouldn't read the book of Daniel so much, or uh, or the book of Numbers, or you pick some of these books that you you need to have a little time in the saddle as a believer to kind of understand the context and and what God is saying, rather a new believer should probably, and we would encourage him as elders, to read the book of John. Read the gospel of John. Or read the book of Romans. A couple of great... We had a guy years ago that we went to church with. And uh, he he was new to the community. And he really struggled because... Primarily because um, he was... Uh, in his younger years, he did several tours in Vietnam, and uh, he really struggled then later in later years as a new believer, going to the same church we did because his 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 mentality, his thoughts, his ideas kept drifting into the Old Testament and all the carnage that uh, happened in the Old testament and he just he struggled and he struggled, and he come and he had asked questions and and I remember sitting in several conversations with this guy. Not myself, just there was a group of guys. That was at a, we had a men's Bible study, actually, is where a lot of the stuff flushed out. And, and uh, he really struggled because he, he just kept gravitating to the, to the bloodshed. And he, and he had seen so much in his life, he had experienced so much, that it tipped him over the edge. And, and we kept encouraging him, you know, don't go there. You're, you're young in the faith. It takes time to understand that context of what God was doing in the Old Testament. And, and uh, the pastor at the time, he, he'd really work with him. He'd meet with him a couple times a week. And, but he really, we kept trying to bend him into the Gospel of John to give him a good foundation. And, and, and bless his heart, he, he really grappled, he really struggled. And I'll be honest with you, um, he didn't survive in the faith. He didn't survive. I shouldn't say he's not a believer. I'm not saying that. But all the things that that God was trying to do by giving him the pure milk of the word, uh, he kind of kept pushing that away in a sense, to use that metaphor. And he'd gravitate towards this, you know, these harder to understand, as Hebrew says, these idea of of solid food. He kept gravitating to that too early. And it uh, was tough for him. We got to begin by reading the basics: the Gospel of John, the Book of Romans, for Second and Third John, James. Really, any of the Gospels. We need to be discipled in our faith. I keep pounding this drum, and I'm going to continue to pound this drum that we have to be discipled. And a lot of times, we find ourselves, you know, six, seven, eight years, ten years down the road of being a believer, and whoa, I, I've I just kind of. I've just kind of got it by bits and pieces. I've just kind of got it by, by being here, which is good. That's a great thing. But that's a vastly different perspective and, and a vastly different growth rate than when we're very intentional to grab onto somebody and say, I need you to teach me who God is. And the church continues to offer these things. And we keep pushing Sunday night as a great opportunity to ask the types of questions that you can't answer right now, or that you can't ask right now. We don't have time to answer right now. Small groups is another great opportunity. It's a great ministry that's, frankly, is under-embraced. Uh, and We have great small group leaders. This is what's pain, particularly painful for me. We have great people here. Many of you are great small group leaders. I've sat in on small groups with many of you guys. We have to embrace it because... In those contexts, is where we're going to grow at a great and healthy growth rate. So, we've got to be discipled in our faith. We've got to grow out of, we have to understand, you might not get it all the first week or month or even the first couple of years. But the expectation, the expectation by the Apostle Paul here is that we grow out of the milk phase and into the meat phase. Onto the solid food. I will confess to you that I uh, I remember the date right now, so I'm going to just say it that way. I can bank up some credibility. We got married on March 24th. I remember our anniversary. Not every year have I remembered our anniversary. Here's what I do remember all the time: is that I'm six months and two days older than my wife. She doesn't like this story, so she gets a pass. She does not have to listen to it. I'm six months old, old, six months and two days older than my. So I joke with Tammy. I say, "Listen, by the time you came along, I was cutting my own steak." You guys get it? Get the humor? Milk to. Milk to. Do I need to put pictures on the board that that I have evidence? My mom used to say, and she's not here, she would agree with this, that uh, in those early years, uh, she sat on one side of me, and my dad sat on the other, and they had a sh- each of them had a spoon going, and uh, otherwise I got a little cranky, which explains a lot about our family, and it especially explains why my older sister is so short. She kind of was across the table, left to fend for herself, and... Uh, there's a natural expectation, you guys, that we grow out of the milk phase in our spiritual growth and into the solid food, the meat phase, that we ought to be teachers. I know it scares people when I say that type of thing and you think, wow, I can't communicate anything to anybody. You can at the least, like I said earlier, at the very least share your testimony. And somebody will learn something from that, at the very least. And I think that all of us can do way more than that. I watch some of our high school kids uh, that show up here on Monday night to learn show up Wednesday night to teach, even some of our junior high kids. Guess what they're doing? They're communicating God's truth. They're communicating God's truth. And sadly to say, and a little bit of, uh, of Scoldness for our church. They're doing that because other people won't. That's the truth of our church. Sometimes we have high schoolers and junior hires that are here teaching on Wednesday night because there's not an adult that's willing to do the same thing. That's not being mature, not growing up in our faith. That's being dullness of hearing. That's being sluggish in our faith. That's not seeing the big picture. It's seeing your own picture. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say in verse 14 of chapter 5, But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, mature. That is, by reason of use, they have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Like lifting weights builds muscle, like working out will drop the physical weight and get you in shape, reason of use and having their senses exercised will help grow us to discern good and evil. And if there's ever a day and a time where we need to discern good and evil, it's 2020 and what's going on in our culture. If we wonder why we're struggling to figure out what's going on, if we're wondering why all of what's going on in our culture is like like a whirlwind around us and we can't keep up, We might want to actually revisit Hebrews 14 and wonder, Wow, have I become dull of hearing? Are my senses unexercised? See, it's reason of use. It's repetition. We grow by repetition. So if we we are creating these good habits and, 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 and encouraging other people, and they're built into our spiritual walk, good habits of being in the Word, being in prayer, being in fellowship, being discipled, continuing to grow, working through issues, not avoiding issues, working through issues, seeing what God is doing, experiencing God on an everyday, every moment basis, that type of spiritual growth, that type of spiritual pathway, that's repetition. We're staying in the right zone. Let me ask you, you put on weight? You put on weight? Uh, do you... Do you? Uh, in your exercise routine, both of you, we had an awesome opportunity. We woke up when we were in uh, Molokai, and Josh and Sean were gone. Now, they didn't, like, vanish. It wasn't the rapture, that type of gone. But uh, we walked over to the big house. Where's your folks at? Oh, they went for a run. So I walked down to the beach, and I looked. And, I mean, how far can you look down that beach? Two and a half miles? I didn't see either one of them. I thought, whoa. They are not talking about going for a run. They're going for a run, a long run. And I know Josh is the type of guy that works out, right? But what is it about working out? It's the repetition to what you do that actually makes the difference. The same dynamic is true. You, you probably wouldn't believe this. I know there's other people that work out. I'm not just picking on Josh. Uh, I actually used to lift weights when I was young and a lot more ambitious with the iron. And it's the repetitions, it's the reps that you put in, in the right way, not overdoing it necessarily, not trying to max out on on every lift, but it's the repetitions that we have that over time build muscle. They build mass that make you stronger. And the same dynamic is true spiritually, that when we're... when we're doing reps with the Lord, when we're doing reps in the Word, when we're doing reps with one another, in and in not just once a week, lifting weights once a week won't cut it, if you want to drop weight and add muscle. Right? That doesn't cut it. So why would we think that spiritually, that we could do spiritual weights once a week, and that would make all the difference in our, in our spiritual growth? It doesn't make sense. We grow spiritually like we grow physically. We grow by repetition. Exercising our spiritual senses will propel us on into the meat. What does that look like? How does that play out? It can be said this way, that there's the five human senses, the sense of taste, the sense of hearing, the sense of sight, the sense of smell, and, of course, the sense of touch, that uh, in a way they have a spiritual counterpart, a spiritual sense of taste. If you write these things down, I think that we have them perhaps on the board up here. Spiritual sense of taste looks like this, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, First Peter 2, 3, or taste and see that the Lord is good, Psalms encourages us. Taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. There's certain foods that I don't particularly care for. There's certain foods that I used to not eat that I'm actually willing to eat now. Uh, there's probably certain foods that I really like that other people are like, you've got to be kidding me. But none of it, for any of us, matters if we don't just take a bite. You have to taste and see, Psalm says, that the Lord is good. You've got to participate. You've got to experience who God is. The spiritual sense of hearing can come out of Isaiah chapter 55, verse 3. Hear and, sho- and your soul shall live. Hear and your soul shall live. Or perhaps at the end of the book, Revelation 2 7, where Jesus is talking about his churches, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Are we dull of hearing or do we have a sense of hearing that's tuned in to who God is? Tuned in to what the Holy Spirit is saying. Tuned in to who Jesus is and the difference that he's making in our lives. The the difference that he's making in the lives around us. Is there a connection there or is it white noise? Is it white noise? The, the idea that it's just static? We live in a... You couldn't find static on the TV now if you had to. Not today. When I was growing up, we had three channels, two, four, and six, all three out of Spokane. That was it. No Fox, no nothing else, definitely no satellite. There was one family, one family in all of Summit Valley that had one of those, you know, nine-foot satellite dishes. And so we would flock over there on occasion to watch the Mariners' games, especially if they were out of town because they were blacked out if they were playing in Seattle. It's the only time that we got to actually see what the mariners were doing, not just hear what the mariners were doing. Because if you stayed at home, you could watch the TV all you wanted to, and uh, you'd never see it. In fact, uh, there's many uh, nights that uh, I stayed up watching TV, and when I woke up in the middle of the night, the TV was going... (laughs) Because it was just white noise, right? Everybody that's like... My age or older realizes what I'm talking about. White noise. It, 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 we don't, there's no connection. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Push away the extra noise. Turn it off. Turn the channel. Do whatever you have to do to increase and, and build up your spiritual sense of hearing. Let's move on to the third one. The spiritual sense of sight. Psalms 119.18 says, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Or Ephesians 1, 8, or 118 says, The eyes of your understanding. Some translations say the, the eyes of your heart being enlightened. In other words, uh, are we seeing what God's doing? Are we looking to God to open our eyes to and are we seeking Him in that way? I will guarantee that if you seek Him in that way, that He will meet you there, you will be found by Him, and He will give you that spiritual sense of sight if that's something that's been lost, if it's something that's been dulled down and out of focus. The spiritual sense of smell. This one was a little harder to find, but there's a piece in the epistle to the church in Philippi, Philippians 4, eight says, I am full having received from you a sweet-smelling aroma. The idea here is, is that are, are, are we well-pleasing a sense of smell to those around us? And in other areas, and I'll, I'll preach about this in the future, but uh, the idea that Paul conveys is that uh, to some, we're a stench of death. And to others, uh, a sweet-smelling aroma of life. And Paul's drawing a contrast between, between those who don't want anything to do with God, who when you say anything about Jesus at the workplace, or anything about the Lord at school, or, or in your community, man, they just freak out. You're a stench of death. Are you willing to be? The question out of that passage is, are you willing to be a stench of death in order to be the sweet-smelling uh, aroma of life? Because to other people, when they hear of the Lord, they're drawn to it. When Tammy's cooking up something in the kitchen, and uh, I'm walking from the shop, and if the windows are open right, and the breeze is just right, uh, man, I can smell what's for dinner. I pick up my step a little bit, right? I want some of that. I want some of that. Is does that idea define your walk with the Lord? Are you drawn to the Lord in that sense? And are you willing to be both the stench of death for some and the sweet smell of aroma of life to other people? Right? A little caveat in that particular piece. If the fruit's not ripe, don't pick it. Right? There's people that are... that. Uh, God has been working in their lives. He's been bringing them along. He's had other people involved that probably we don't even know. And guess what? You show up and you start sharing a little Jesus and they start asking questions like, whoa, hey, I got one on the hook. Right? Reel it in. Reel them in. Keep sharing the Lord. Guess what? If you show up and you're sharing Jesus and they don't want nothing to do and the claws are out. That doesn't mean that we don't say anything or that we don't ever encourage. But we have to have discernment on how to go about it. we got to build a relationship. we got to build a, a little bridge a relationship with that coworker or that person at school or, or that person in our community or a new neighbor that perhaps has been really wounded. And don't build a, you know, two-pound bridge and try to drive a tractor over it. It's not going to cut it. You've got to know how much weight how much relational weight that bridge can handle in that relationship that you have with people as you cross over it i'm getting a long ways away from a sweet smelling aroma but the re- you guys get my point be that sweet aroma to people that are around you the fifth one a spiritual sense of touch or feeling second kings 22:19 says because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord. We're called to have a tender heart, a humble heart before the Lord. The backside of that, the warning that Paul has, out of Ephesians chapter 4, sounds like this, the hardening of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over to licentiousness. That's the opposite. We, we need to embrace the former. We need to have a tender heart. We need to be humble in the process. And we have to put away, as Paul says to the Corinthian church, this idea of being carnal in our thinking. Having a carnal mentality in the ways of the world. We need to be sharp as to what's going on in the world. Don't hear the wrong thing. I'm not saying that we, that we pull a you know, Amish mentality, and, and actually, I'll, I'll be honest with you, we, we know a few people, we haven't been, talked to them in the last several years, but uh, the Amish people even, as distant as they are in the culture that they live in, uh, they're a lot more savvy as to what's going on around them than what you would think. Um, I'm not saying that we draw back in utter isolation. We're called to live in the world, but to not be of the world. But we have to put away the carnal thinking that's with, between our own ears and the ways of the world and be transformed by God as kingdom men and women. As kingdom men and women. I read through, and I've been reading through 1 Corinthians, I'm probably about halfway through, I think, the book, and it's amazing how many times Paul refers back to the kingdom of God in his writings. It's, it's, it's really amazing. We, we, we think, when we say the kingdom of God, oftentimes we put it in the context of the first parts of the book of Acts uh, and, and that message, you know, and, and repent because the kingdom is at hand and, and all of that goes with all of those fiery sermons by Peter and, and all of those you know, back and forths. But Paul is encouraging the church at Corinth to remove the worldly thinking, to remove the carnal thinking that's taken them one way, that's keeping them suppressed in their growth, and to put on kingdom thinking, that we're kingdom men and women, that we're here temporarily, but as Christ followers, we, believe to a, we belong to a completely different realm, of which now... Of which now, we represent. You and I are a representation of what God's got in heaven. A representation in, in, uh, uh, of who He is to the world that we live in. Ambassadors for Christ, Paul says. We represent in that sense. Are we gro- is our spiritual growth indicative of, of that representation? is our spiritual growth back into the have we become like the writer of hebrews says kind of slid back into to to being on the bottle to being back into the milk needing to learn it all over again because we failed to continue to grow i was kind of hoping that arthur was here he's in the nursery oh is he sleeping If I go get him and bring him up here, it would probably make him cry. But I was thinking about little Arthur LaRue. He's the cutest little guy. Just got to love him to pieces. If Arthur looked the same way in 20 years as he looks today, wouldn't you guys say, there's, he's, man, there's a problem? He's got a problem, right? There's a natural expectation that is that little guy, as cute as he is, 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 is going to continue to grow And grow and grow and it's true for all of us really. I just he was the youngest little guy I could think of at the spur of the moment. Same thing is true for Mert. If Mert looked just like that when he's twenty five, I'd say, Wow, that's the shortest little twenty five year old I think I've ever seen. And he's cute. And for a little short twenty five year old he can really shoot a gun. (laughs) But there would be a problem. We would all recognize that problem. We have to be transformed. We have to continue to grow. Continuing to grow is understanding that we have a responsibility in that process, to embrace that process. That's our our piece. That's our our daily homework, is to continue to embrace the process of God growing you into who He wants you to be. And there's an expectation God has of a timeline. That, hey, by now you ought to be, you fill in the blank. You fill in the blank for yourself of how long you've been a Christ follower, and if I say the sentence, you fill in the the, the end of the sentence. By now, you ought to be. I think that we would be surprised even at our own answers. We have to exercise our spiritual senses in order to, as the Hebrew writer says, to discern both good and evil. Our growth is linked to our diet. And our diet is linked to our growth. Our spiritual diet is linked to our growth. Right? If you've been Christian just a couple of years, perhaps, maybe just a year or so or less, the milk of the word should be your steady diet. The basics of the faith. And encourage you to gravitate towards somebody who's older in the faith that can disciple you. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to any one of the elders or deacons. We would love to uh, point you in the right direction. We'd love to come alongside and help you out. If you've been a Christian for more than just... And I, I struggled with this part, writing this down in my notes. Because I don't want to say, hey, as a, as a... If you've been a Christian a year or whatever, I don't want to put a hard time stamp on it. Because we do there there is some wiggle room there of of uh, growth rate. But if we don't ever grow, then we got a problem. So I didn't want to put a hard and fast, you know, well if you got here's where it is, you got three hundred and sixty five days to get it right or, you know, you've got a problem. That's not it. A few years. I remember what those first few years were like for me. Uh, We didn't have. I didn't have internet. Uh, I had a phone. That after the talking to my fiance in Kansas for a month, that phone bill went to about five hundred bucks. So my phone got disconnected while I was scratching to pay the bill. So I didn't have internet for a time. I didn't have a phone. I had my Bible. And the church we went to at the time had a whole library of Chuck Smith tapes with the famous old Chuck Tracks. And Kayla knows all about the Chuck Tracks because she went to Calvary Baptist. Or Calvary Baptist. Calvary, Calvary Chapel Bible College. You'd think I'd know what I was talking about. I've actually been there. Just for a day or so. But. Uh, that's what I had. The growth rate. Just took off. It wasn't because of the chuck tracks necessarily, a combination of both, probably. Being in good fellowship, connecting with people around my circle at the time that cared about my spiritual growth, and they invested in me, and they invested in me, and they invested in me. Because what I'm telling you guys here today, they knew then. What I'm saying and encouraging and and perhaps even coming across with a little bit of admonition, what what I'm telling you today, they knew then and said, hey, you got to come up. We're going to start praying every Thursday night. You need to be here. Well, Thursday night prayer turned into like Thursday night, Friday morning, two in the morning discussions on who God was for me. I kind of always kind of felt bad because I knew they were kind of dragging out late to work the next morning. But I didn't care. I wanted my questions answered. You know, I had to get up and go to work too. So I guess we were all in the same boat. So if you've been a Christian for more than a few years, you should be chewing on, you should be in transition for sure. You should be chewing on the meat of the Word. Don't be sluggish in your growth. Don't find yourself dull of hearing, as writer of Hebrews says. And if you do, today's a fresh day to do something about it. Today is a brand new day to check your growth rate, to take the pulse of your spiritual growth and, and, and how you've been doing, and do something about it. Today's a brand new day. Don't be sluggish about your spiritual growth. It will tell on you. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for today. and We thank you for your word. We thank you that you care so much about our growth that you completely infuse your word with these concepts. That your prime goal in relating with your people is to continue to transform them into the likeness of Jesus. Lord, that we would be able to know the times that we live in. That we would have the discernment of good and evil. That the generations that come up underneath us, come behind us, Lord that they would understand the times in which they're growing, that they would understand the times in which they live as young men and women, kids in the faith, that they would see, Lord, where our culture is, that they would see the things that are going on as much as they can comprehend, but that they wouldn't, dive back into just needing the milk that they wouldn't slide back into sluggishness but they would continue to grow onto meat the deeper things of who you are that they would embrace and we would all embrace Lord even those difficult passages that oftentimes are tough to understand yet through repetition of being in your word and being in prayer and communing with your Holy Spirit. We would come to know those things. We would come to be taught by those things. And we would come to understand as you reveal yourself each and every day to us. We would come to understand more and more of who you are. And by those things, by the sum of all those things, Lord, that you would continue to strengthen us day by day, moment by moment, situation by situation, trial by trial, tribulation by tribulation, we would be strengthened by you. That as Jesus said, and we read about last week, that we would then endure. That we would endure to the end. We thank you. We praise you for who you are. Forgive us, Lord, when we are sluggish and dull hearing. We pray that we would be propelled today on a new trajectory of growth and learning in you. Of representing you well and living well as a kingdom man, a kingdom woman, a kingdom kid. We praise you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.